Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Today, Karen and I are speaking with Nicholas Wilkinson. Nick is a highly acclaimed barrister with the top London Chambers, One Hair Court, and he deals with both the financial side of divorce and children proceedings. And he's no stranger to complex and high conflict family law cases. Nick even represented Princess Hare of Jordan in the High Court, following her marriage breakdown to the ruler of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed. This was a highly publicised case, which has been described as the most far-reaching litigation ever seen in the UK family courts. He's described, amongst many other accolades, as a serious heavyweight, a brilliant advocate, exceptionally detailed, an intelligent thinker, highly persuasive and compassionate, calm and concise. So now that I've embarrassed you slightly with that list, Nick, I'd just like to thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me on. So, Nick, I know that in the sort of work that you do, you inevitably come across quite high conflict individuals. And those are the sorts of clients who find themselves in the court arena quite regularly. But do you think that narcissistic personality disorder is something that you encounter regularly in your work? Sadly, yes. As to exactly how regularly, I couldn't say. Of course, as lawyers, we're not qualified to diagnose NPD. uh, And there's always a danger of of leaping to conclusions and, and misdiagnosing. But I'm certainly spotting traits of, of narcissistic personality disorder frequently. Um, and I think when it comes to familial relationships, uh, narcissism, as we know, is certainly one of the buzzwords of the moment. And, and, and like many buzzwords, can be overused and, and exploited. Um, but I, I found in my own experience and um, from discussing it with others in the profession that a week can't pass without a case involving some form of accusation of narcissism. Um, and this can include cross accusations in, in the same case. Um, I, I noted you phrased your question in relation to narcissistic personality disorder. So someone suffering from an enduring uh, maladaptive pattern of thoughts and behaviours, uh, which is, of course, more rare. But yes, um, I'm certainly more aware of it. And as you say, narcissism is definitely now used 
as a buzzword. And it is important to really understand how pathological narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder actually differs from that colloquial use of the word narcissist and how actually those with NPD actually behave in very specific and predictable ways um, in divorce and separation, which, of course, is why Karen and I wrote our books. But would you say from your experience at the bar that NPD has actually increased in recent years in the context of your work um, with divorce and couples? Well, in, in my experience, I'm certainly spotting traits of NPD more regularly. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's because I've become more aware and know what to look for, or even whether there's some form of underlying confirmation bias now that I am more aware. Um, I would say that awareness and understanding of the issue, while still not yet fully understood, has increased, certainly. Um, but, but when I first stumbled upon this issue and really got, got to know about it, um, I felt that it was quite important to try to educate myself because this isn't something you learn at, at, at law school. Certainly, I wasn't, wasn't taught it um, to better understand w- what it is and what it means. And for all those who suffer from it, whether that's the victims of any narcissistic abuse or those with the personality disorders themselves, as you, as you mentioned, they are, it's a reaction to something that, that happened in their childhoods. Uh, and I've learned a huge amount, not least from your fantastic books and podcasts. Um, as to what it means to suffer from MPD uh, and that it really it leaves the sufferers as a shell of a human with no real core experiencing life in a in a very very different way to the rest of us and whilst that has a number of implications from a human perspective um, also as we're exploring today in a legal province um, but in, in answer to your question as to any increase I suppose there is a possibility um, aside from my awareness point is that there could be an exponential growth in diagnosis, as, as not only are we more aware, but narcissists are, are created, not born. As narcissists are created, sufferers of MPD will breed the next generation. The point that you made about narcissists being created um, and not born, I mean, in fact, there is a genetic component. It's not anywhere near as important. And uh, twin studies, so twins who've been separated at birth, those types of studies have shown that narcissism does have a genetic component. But in the main, it's the environment which creates the problems um, with, with pathological narcissism. And that has huge implications in family law, because, of course, if you're placing the children uh, inadvertently with the narcissistic parent, possibly for sort of uh, the majority of the time, that's going to have implications on the children um, in that they may themselves go on to develop narcissism. I also wanted to make another point. Um, You talked about confirmation bias. And that's such an important point, um, because a lot of people have said this to me. Is it just because I've seen it that I now think I'm seeing more and more of it? And there's always that comparison. You know, if you decided you wanted to buy a red Mazda, for example, you'd start seeing red Mazdas everywhere. There's a reason for that. So that's not actually just confirmation bias. There's actually a reason for that, which is that there's an area in the brain called the reticular activating system. And that actually filters out some of the sensory information that we get um, because it doesn't deem it to be relevant to us. Um, so if we think it's not relevant, we basically won't see it. But then when it becomes relevant, it allows it in. Essentially, that filter opens up and allows that particular thing in. So just as uh, if red masters are suddenly relevant to you, you'll suddenly be seeing red, red masters everywhere. If narcissism reaches your awareness and becomes something that's important or relevant, you will start to see narcissists everywhere because that's the job of the reticular activating system to kind of open that filter up and let things through. So it's not so much confirmation bias where it's not reflecting the truth. 
it probably is that it is reflecting the truth. You are seeing a, a more realistic version of reality um, than before. So I, th- I think that's quite important to, to mention. And of course, the issue is that with red masters, it's binary. You know, it either is a red master or it isn't. You know, we don't say, oh, you're, you're a bit of a red master. or You know, you either are or you're not. And we don't judge it. You know, there's no judgment involved in, in, in calling something that, that is a red master a red master. But there is judgment in calling someone who might appear to be pathologically narcissistic. You feel like you're judging them by labelling them. And so it's really, really complicated. I just wanted to make that point. I was wondering as well, Nick, you know, what percentage of cases which reach a final hearing do you think uh, might involve um, a narcissist on one or other side? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be able to put a percentage on it necessarily, but I, I, I would imagine that it would be a significant number. I mean, in relation to family law litigation, I mean, it, it provides a fertile ground for the negative characteristics of, of MPD to flourish. Um, it provides an opportunity for the narcissist to receive attention and it provides them with a plentiful source of narcissistic supply to, to exert control, to devalue their victims and perpetuate the abuse. Um, and, and going back to where we were before, as, as, as they themselves are victims, they, they want company and hotly contested litigation is, is a great outlet for them. And, um, and the victims of the abuse, sadly, are ultimately mere commodities for them within that, within that sphere. Um, so whilst it's something that the victim will struggle to recognise, understand or address often, um, it, it, it can lead on their side to a fixation with the litigation as well. So it's not necessarily the, the, the narcissist who's driving this, but, but as the victim of, of abuse, they are, they are tied in to the litigation because... Living with someone with MPD is, is is like living in a cult and you're probably suffering from some form of trauma bonding or Stockholm syndrome and having been brainwashed and isolated and struggling to make sense of your own reality. And at, at the end of the relationship, as the litigation commences and they have to reflect back on what's happened to them, um, they'll have to fight to make sense of the fact that the love and life that they've experienced may have been a lie and it's shattering and strikes at the heart of their individuality. Um, And it it was an extremely powerful moment for me when I was um, listening to a a lecture um, given by a narcissist on narcissism, Professor Sam Vakin, um, who actually coined the term narcissistic abuse. Um, And he himself is a diagnosed narcissist. When he tells the audience that the narcissists don't exist as humans in the way that most of us understand and they're only shells and that no one is really giving the lecture that you're listening to because he tells us that narcissists aren't capable of love in the way that most of us understand as they prioritize themselves over everything else. So they can pick their victims up, take a snapshot of them. They deal with that snapshot so they never lose control and then discard them at will. And whilst that may be extremely traumatic for a victim to hear, it's also extremely useful for the lawyers to know and understand when considering strategy and advising in a case. But, but really, so the why, I went, why I went down on that route is because it's not just the narcissists who are driving this, it's also the victims who are tied, in, tied into it all. And that's something that we have to, have to be aware of. They're sort of learning at that point, it depends of course on whether they're aware that they're dealing with a narcissist, but if they are aware, they're learning that they've got to be boundaries. They're learning that they've got to set limits and they've got to say no. And actually they've got to stand up for themselves. And so they kind of, it perpetuates the litigation in mm. some way because they see it quite possibly as standing up for them. Themselves. Litigation isn't necessarily the best route at all when dealing with a narcissist. 
we try to steer people to out of court um, resolution methods where at all possible, because the, the courts can actually be used as a as a method, a tool of abuse um, against the uh, the non narcissistic partner. And as you say, you know, you say that it, it's it's like being in a cult. I mean, that is such a good description. That's exactly what it is. And in fact, um, cult leaders are thought to be pathologically narcissistic. I remember watching a, a documentary about it was four people that come out of um, the Scientology movement, uh, all separately. They didn't know each other. They'd all been in it for different lengths of time. And it was absolutely fascinating to hear their descriptions um, because it was exactly the same. It was just pure narcissistic abuse, the cycles of abuse and um, everything was exactly the same. So it is exactly that. You're in a cult of one, basically, possibly more. But you, you think you're in a cult of one when you're in a relationship with a narcissist. So it's very interesting. So, you, you know, you mentioned that it was important for the barristers to understand that concept of their, the whole of the relationship having been essentially lie, the love having ne- never really been there. I mean, how important is it, do you think, for uh, members of the bar to actually understand narcissistic personality disorder, to understand the behaviour pattern? And why? Why is it important that barristers should understand this? If you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist, please do check out my online course, Is My Partner a Narcissist? Knowing for sure. And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. Well, I think it's, it's, it is extremely important. Um, I mean, taking a step back, there are a number of diagnosable personality disorders and, and um, just in the, in the public eye at the moment. Um, you just have to look at the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard proceedings to see that, well, MPD has been alleged in relation to Johnny Depp. Um, as for Amber Heard, there have been references to histrionic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, PTSD. Um, and, and my view is that as lawyers particularly family lawyers, we should be alert to as many of these issues as possible, as it can only help improve the service that we provide in understanding not only our clients, um, but those on the other side of the courtroom. My perspective on this is that it's, it's, it's so important for barristers to understand this issue. For some time, we've had personality tests such as Myers-Briggs Type Indicator or the Hartman Colour Code Personality Profile and things like that. And they seem to be very popular in the corporate world, in the high-octane organisations of of some of my clients, and such as asset management and and hedge funds. But what personality profiling offers is that firstly allows you to understand your own personality code. And this can be as basic as whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. Um, if you're interested in that issue, I'd recommend Quiet by Susan Cain, which is fantastic. But also the personality types of those you work with to provide you and the company with a better understanding of how you can all work together as efficiently and effectively as possible. If you apply the same principle to law or the bar, understanding personality disorders, particularly MPD, which is prevalent in family law, 
um, will provide the lawyers with a better understanding of the case and the human beings involved. And from a strategic point of view, I mean, that must be a good thing, generally speaking, but also in relation to, say, negotiations and the best way to engage with a narcissist to achieve the optimal result or understanding that agreements can be meaningless as, as, as a narcissist may adopt a position that suits them at any given time or approach to court orders and how they might look to frustrate an order or exploit a loophole or ambiguous drafting. But then there's also how you protect the victim and best um, ensure the best result for them, how you advise the narcissist, um, being aware that they may react differently to advice from uh, their solicitor or from you, um, how to handle, so that comes down to sort of teamwork and team harmony, how to handle a litigant in person with NPD when in the corridor outside court. This is something I've experienced is engaging with them or trying to help them is likely to be perceived as weakness. And actually, in that situation, Grey Rock is probably the best approach to go for outside of court. Of course, not when you're in court, but outside of court, that that may work. Uh, Another approach that I find can be helpful is to highlight how their case and how their, their, their position may appear to the judge. So that's whether negotiating with a litigant in person with MPD or advising your client with MPD. Um, because if one of their goals on that occasion is not to be discredited, uh, it may be that threatening to hold up the mirror in the courtroom, the message hits home. And of course, then you have the final issue that, of course, important in relation to this issue is cross-examining the narcissist. And, and when it comes to considering your clients, um, you need to be aware that when you meet them, in conference, there'll be well a, a couple of key considerations is the need to be sensitive to someone who is suffering from narcissistic abuse, um, but also to those who are genuinely suffering from a personality disorder. But then the other consideration is, well, how do we use that knowledge to secure the most successful outcome possible for your client, whoever they may be? Um, and if they're the victim, will need to show support and understanding and possibly educate them if they, um, as to what they've been experiencing, if, if they haven't properly addressed that yet. Um, but also to ascertain how best to deal with the narcissist uh, in that scenario. And so the strategy will, will be different, of course. So for the victim, it may well be to adopt a grey rock approach, um, take the ammunition out of the narcissist's gun and deprive them of oxygen, however you want to look at it, with as few words and as little contact and engagement as possible, or to provide intermittent narcissistic supply in a, in a controlled burst, then withhold. Um, and if you're representing the narcissist, you'll need to be able to manage that fact and the fact that your client has a personality disorder, probably undiagnosed. And so one thing that I, I find interesting on this one is that both sides, whether it's victim or narcissist, you need to ascertain your client's true aims and goals because they may not be um, relaying them to you as quite as, as, as frankly as they, as they want to. Narcissists enjoy litigation. And really, they're, what they're litigating about very often, particularly if it's a children, isn't actually the true reason for the litigation. So, you know, I need to take my child to 
outer Mongolia for two weeks and my ex-wife doesn't want me to do so and therefore I'm going to to make an application to the court well it's not really about taking the child away to outer Mongolia for two weeks Um, it's actually about getting narcissistic supply from the former spouse and I think barristers really need to understand that what looks like the issue isn't actually the issue what they are what they're litigating about isn't really what they're litigating about and so they've got to be really careful to not fall into that trap if you don't understand narcissism pathological narcissism narcissistic personality disorder you're not going to understand why the narcissist is litigating I agree with that entirely and so for the narcissist their condition may result in decisions being made that fit with their personality disorder that aren't necessarily in their own best interests as you see them, or for the victim, um, they may find litigating against their abuser so difficult um, that making any form of strategic decision is, is, just, is just too hard for them. And, and so they need help on that point as well. So trying to work out what it is everyone wants, I think is quite important when you're dealing with this issue. Talking about why it's important for barristers to be able to recognise NPD. We've talked in the past, Karen, about how narcissists exploit loopholes in orders. It's very often uh, the barristers that are drafting those orders. What what are your thoughts on that, uh, Nick? I I think that this is a really interesting point because uh, particularly in, in, say, in relation to to Children Act proceedings, because often a barrister may say, well, look, you're going to need to have an an element of flex or a judge. You're going to need to have an element of flexibility here and we're not here to police everything. You've got to go out and make your own decisions and come to some agreements. And whilst that makes perfect sense, in, in a lot of cases, uh, in a case where you're dealing with someone who um, is suffering from MPD, that could be the, the worst scenario because any flexibility could be exploited by, by, by the narcissist. And so you have to be very, very careful. And there are times where you, and, you know, people can be drafting standard orders. And it is important, I suppose, in a case where you, you have identified this issue to say, well, look, I appreciate this is the standard order, but we need to tighten it up a bit given who we're dealing with. And so once again, that is a very, very good reason as to why we should all be aware as to the types of personalities involved, because in most cases, you might just be able to use the the precedent, and that's fine. But in some cases, where you're dealing with complex personalities, you're going to need to add a few extra, extra provisions. We've been talking about trying to put together a, a little guide for, for, for judges or for barristers, or both to give examples of where the loopholes are that narcissists tend to exploit. They're fairly obvious, really. A normal, in inverted commas, person would just sort of know the meaning of the sentence. They wouldn't be looking to exploit those loopholes, but you've got to really nail it down, I think, with narcissists. So um, that's something I think we, we're thinking about doing. One example on a financial order, very, very close to the top, is that it's very common for, for parties to agree to divide contents and chattels by agreement. And ordinarily, that's fine. Um, but in some cases, in particular, where you're dealing with someone who who is suffering from a personality disorder, that can lead to a, a whole separate set of proceedings as, as they fight tooth and nail over the smallest household item. So it might, in that situation, it's probably worth spending an extra hour if you can. Of course, you can't do this in every case, but producing lists and trying to agree the contents there, then, there and then. So you don't have this issue down the line, which could cost tens of thousands of pounds. Um, having to litigate separately. And and another another consideration is there are issues as to, well, ongoing spousal maintenance or capitalization, whether you take a capital lump sum up front or whether you take ongoing maintenance moving forwards or somewhere in between. 
And so if you're dealing with someone who's a pathological narcissist, if you're banking on the fact that they will carry on, carry on earning to pay that maintenance, you've got to be quite careful there because most people that aren't suffering from a personality disorder will just perhaps carry on working. Some may not, but, but the narcissist may say, you know what, sorry, I'm going to quit my job or I'm going to retire or whatever it may be. And so that's a consideration when you think, well, maybe uh, as much capital now to provide for the clean break maybe in your client's best interests, as opposed to less capital, but more income over a longer time, time frame. You can't really rely upon spousal maintenance continuing necessarily if the payer is, is a narcissist. Karen, you, you say that the, the order is only as good as the person it applies to. Yeah, or the, the person who's paying it. And I, and I think that's true. You know, we, we've said repeatedly that narcissists don't adhere to rules. By and large, most people, people who don't suffer from any kind of um, personality disorder, will adhere to court orders and will have respect for them. But for those who don't feel that they apply to them, they won't have any regard for it at all. And therefore, heavy reliance on a maintenance provision is quite a dangerous place to be um, if you're if you've been the victim of narcissistic abuse, because it's it's the it's the best way for that abuse to perpetuate. And particularly when you're dealing with agreements as well. I mean, the order is one thing, but but agreements that you'll often have at the top of a, of a court order and, and the recital section is that, I mean, if you strip it back to, you know, what a what a, a someone suffering from MPD is, is, is like and they are a shell, they, they have no, no real core, is that there is no one there on the other side of the agreement. They're not actually making an agreement with you. They're simply saying what they need to say at that particular moment in time, because that's what suits them then. Now, moving f- forwards, they will find a way of ex- justifying it to themselves and will genuinely believe that there was never any agreement or that, that was a mistake or it's certainly something they shouldn't be held to. So it is, yeah, it's something that needs to be given very, very careful thought when you're negotiating, discussing settlement options, but also when drafting court orders. And what do you think members of the bar can do to raise awareness? Have you got any tips to help barristers recognise these personality types in their role? Or is there anything that you think that the bar collectively could do to to just enable themselves to be better placed to help people in this situation, whichever side of the coin their client may fall? Well, if you'll you'll forgive me for this one, tell everyone to read your books and listen to your podcasts. Is, is really all I can say on that one. I think they're fantastic. And they, they, get, they really get the point across very effectively. Oh, thank you. That, that, that's um, exactly why we embarked on this um, two years ago now. And I think a lot of people um, have engaged, particularly with the podcast, which has been amazing. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.